Who can say if I have been changed for the better? But because I knew you, I've been changed for good. Just to clear the air, Alfalfa sings, I ask forgiveness. There's blame to share, responds Glinda, and they sing together. None of it seems to matter anymore. We've been changed for good. Each year that I move around this earth, every year that this planet goes around the sun again, I notice that I am accompanied by more and more ghosts. I don't mean real ghosts, whatever that is, not Casper or nearly headless Nick or Jacob Marley, none of them. No, I mean memories. And not just of those who've died either, though there are plenty of those but memories of experiences that have changed me for good, memories of encounters, moments, discoveries, heartbreaks, betrayals, joys, laughter, beginnings and endings. Do you have this? Do you know what I mean? Driving the car and a song comes on and you remember. You see a woman wearing a jacket and the jacket looks just like another jacket and your mind is off to the races. An email arrives from your inbox from someone you fought with at work or even someone with a similar name and your defenses go up. Ghosts. Ghosts. Ghosts of your childhood, past relationships, past friendships. Ghosts of places you have been, things you have done. Ghosts of dreams deferred, nightmares survived. Ghosts of ones you lost and wish you hadn't. Ghosts of ones you lost and we're glad you did. The dilemma, I think, is what to do with all of this. We are surrounded by these spirits, these feelings and responses, and sometimes, sometimes, these memories are trauma-triggering. The memory, the scent, the sound takes us back and our body responds with rushes of adrenaline and cortisol ready to fight or flee or freeze. Let me say that if this happens to you a lot, I cannot recommend enough to see a therapist who works in this area because there are things you can learn to do that will help a lot. There really are. So do that. This sermon is not medical treatment, but I hope what I say today, if you are in this spot, will complement your recovery. But even if a trauma-triggered response isn't part of your story, we all, I think, live with these ghosts, these memories of loss and joy and hurt and learning. Here's what I'm figuring out, and maybe some of you already figured this out, and maybe some of you are just discovering. Denial doesn't work. You can't forget. You've been changed for good. I love the way that Agnes Lewis puts it, You've paid the price, why can't you keep the goods? Think of all the things you've learned. Maybe the lessons were hard. Maybe you wish you hadn't had to learn them. Maybe more than anything, you wish you hadn't had to learn them. But you did, and they're part of you. Forgetting doesn't work. Things fade, yes. Feelings get less intense, and the sting of the hurt might lessen. But forget, no. I don't, I don't want to forget, not in my personal life where those lessons hard as somewhere have been invaluable teachers, and I don't think that we should forget socially either. 
Should we forget what happened in slavery or forget the Holocaust, forget the costs of war? Those who cannot remember their history are doomed to repeat it, said George Santayana, and I, God, that feels true, doesn't it? Memory is important. It's an act of honor and resilience and sacred duty. Remembering what has happened to us individually and socially is how we learn and grow and evolve and how we honor what we've been through and how we know what's true in our bones, how we become who we are. So don't forget. It dishonors what you've been through and doesn't work anyway. These ghosts, they keep showing up. So don't forget. But don't clutch either. Remembering the wounds is different than reopening them time and time again. Remembering what you learned is different from lugging around a bag of rocks full of all the grudges you have tended as if they were fragile flowers. Remembering what you have learned is an act of love, courage and love and honor, but holding on to grudges, stuffing your cabin with bits of paper of how you were harmed and what revenge you seek, noticing every slight, cultivating grievance is not useful. Sometimes I think that we think, I can't forgive them because I don't want to forget what I learned. I don't want to pretend like it didn't happen. And I think we're right to think that. The popular notion of forgiveness, that we forgive and forget, that those two things go together, that we forgive so we can move on, is wrong. It needs to be challenged. We don't forgive so we can move on. We forgive so we can move through. Let me say that again because I think it's really important. And I had to work hard to learn this lesson, so I'll share it again. We don't forget to move on. We don't forgive to move on. We forgive to move through, to move through. Forgiving allows us to live, to live in community, to love, to befriend. We will err, and others will err too, and forgiveness so we may live, so we may live, live now and in the future and not be stuck in the past. But forgiving isn't forgetting. One requires, the poet reminds us, the lemon balm, the calming and releasing. The other, the metal edge of memory, the sharpness to recall what matters and how you become who you are. I think that when folks conflate forgiveness and forgetting, it's a way that oppression justifies itself. We don't have to change. They forgave us. Maybe that's social. Brian got at that in his testimony about how forgiving feels like letting off the hook and that doesn't feel right. So how do we disentangle those things? It's personal too. It doesn't matter, someone tells themselves, that I bullied that kid, he forgave me. I don't need to learn anything from breaking their heart, they forgave me. My lover took me back, everything must be fine. But it's not fine. There's a lesson to be learned. So we need to disentangle these things, forgetting and forgiving. So here's how I think it should work. When you decide to forgive someone, you do it for you. You do it because you want to stop carrying that weight, that brick around. You want to stop 
keeping pages and pages of notes of the wrong done. You're tired of the anger and the clench. You do it for you. You do it for you. You forgive so that they do not continue to have a hold on you because when you carry the grudge of what someone has done to you, they still have power over you. When you put it down, you release their power over you. In Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups, they say a phrase attributed to everyone from Nelson Mandela to the Buddha to Carrie Fisher. And I don't know about you, but if a phrase is attributed both to the Buddha and Carrie Fisher, then it's got to be true. It just has to be. The saying is this, holding on to a grudge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's got to be true. Forgiveness is a decision made freely. Put the brick down. Does not require forgetting. Indeed, forgiveness is stronger when you remember, when you know what it was that happened and you learned from it. You decide not to let it dominate your thoughts and imagination. So the line in the song for you, which the choir sang, after they forgive each other, when they sing, I guess it doesn't matter anymore, is both true and false both true and false. It's true because when you forgive, you allow the relationship to grow and to not be stuck in the past. You decide what happened will not get in the way of your life. And so in that sense, it doesn't matter anymore. In that fundamental sense of matter is weight and stuff, it doesn't weigh anymore. So in that sense, that line is true. It doesn't matter anymore, but it's also false because it does matter. It's part of what happened to you. It's your story. You matter. Your story matters. What happened to you matters. It shaped you, and it still shapes you. So in that sense, the line is false. Ambiguity is what we do in religion, true and false at once. So, so how do you do this? Forgive and not forget? I mean, maybe this all feels a little abstract, so I want to give you some concrete examples. When Stacy was younger, she dated a man, Joey, she liked the way he laughed. And a sense of adventure, he was an excellent cook too, which was a delight. But there were some signs right away that it wasn't a great match. He was a night owl, she was an early riser. That wasn't a big deal, but when he took a third shift job without talking to her about it first, she realized that he didn't really see a future for them. And she was surprisingly okay with that. But when she said, I don't think this is going anywhere, he was crushed. He said some not nice things. She said some not nice things. She was mad at him and she was mad at herself for not realizing sooner in the relationship that this wasn't the one. Shortly after that, she said, well, you gotta move on. Forgive and forget. She tried to forgive him and herself, but then it happened again. She was dating Philip, nice guy, sweet, convenient, lived down the street, but there was no spark. A few months went by, and she finally said, look, this isn't it, and he was mad. She felt guilty. After a little therapy and a long conversation with her sister, she realized that she needed to forgive herself because you don't know what you don't know until you know it, and she's just a regular person trying to figure it out, but that it was important that she not forget. Forgive herself, but not forget. She needed to give some deep thought 
to what she really wanted, commitment and spark at the same time. And if it wasn't there, she needed to say so clearly, fairly, and quickly so she could forgive herself what she'd done. But if she didn't remember the lesson, then that forgiveness would be too cheap. And false, next time, she resolved there would not be a next time. She would learn a new lesson, she was sure, but she only wanted to learn this one once. Here's another common story. Simpler one. Paul is driving his car down State Street when someone cut him off. Weaving in and out of traffic, they went right in front of him. Paul had a slam on his brakes. He hit the steering wheel. He cursed. His adrenaline was flowing. Found he was still mad. He was, he was continuing to drive down the street, mad as could be. He was distracted by his anger and ran right into the car in front of him. Stopped at a red light. The damage was minor, thankfully, but his day was beyond ruined. What Paul realized is that he'd been so focused on nurturing his anger that he forgot to learn the lesson of the moment. Driving is dangerous and you should pay attention. Pay attention because you never know what might happen. It would have been better, he realized, to let go of the anger but hold the lesson. Keep your eye out for people driving foolishly, including yourself. Be ready to hit the brakes. One more. Jennifer and April have been friends for decades. They met in college, their first day of school. They stood up at each other's weddings. April helped pick Jennifer up off the floor after her wife died from cancer a few years ago. They travel together. They finish each other's sentences. They talk all the time. All those years of friendship, they've had to forgive each other more times than they can count. Jennifer can be strong-willed, sometimes stronger than she means. April's more of an introvert, and sometimes April needs some downtime. Jennifer took this as an insult the first time. Why doesn't she want to talk more? Why does she like me? But here's what made their friendship work. April said, I just need a little downtime. That way, I can enjoy our time together more. Jennifer forgave April for not saying that sooner, and she asked April to forgive her for not getting the clue, which in retrospect was pretty clearly offered. They learned their lesson. This is just one of the lessons they've learned. They each have their quirks and their habits and their issues. They forgive each other easily. They don't pretend there wasn't an issue, though. They tried that once with some other issue. Jennifer kept saying in her, to herself and to April, it's fine, it's fine, it's no big deal. Silently, she was seething that April had done this thing or that thing. Once it all spurted out, and April said, well, why didn't you say anything? And Jennifer replied, I was forgiving you. <laughs> and April retorted, you can't forgive me if you don't tell me I did something that hurt you. That's not forgiveness. That's passive-aggressive nonsense. <laughs> Knock that off. So that's what they do. If one does something the other doesn't like, they mention it kindly, clear the air, forgive because of how much they value their relationship to each other, but they also remember because of how much they value their friendship. They remember what the other person needs to feel valued and cared for. So Jennifer gives April some space to relax, and April makes sure that Jennifer knows when she has an opinion and when she's really okay with whatever Jennifer decides. Jennifer puts pauses in her conversation, and April speaks into them. They forgive, so they carry no grudge between them. They say, ouch, 
and oops, those are great words by the way, ouch and oops, so they can learn to be even better friends to each other. All these decades in, I gotta tell you, it's beautiful. They've been changed for good. They all have. They forgive themselves and the other, but learn and remember and sharpen the blade of memory, but drink the lemon balm of forgiveness so they may live, so they may befriend, so they may love. They have been changed for good, forgiven and forgiving, and learning and growing. The personal examples, one more social world example occurs to me about the importance of forgiving so that the cycle of vengeance, war after war after war, need not continue. In all the news of this week, so much of it, you might have missed that treaty was signed, perhaps, maybe, things hold and nobody goes back on their word, ending a certain phase of the war in Afghanistan for the Americans, 18 and a half years. How quickly we forget these things, though. We forget, we don't remember, and then next time around we say, oh, war's no big deal. Won't last forever, we'll be in and out. What does it mean to remember? To remember and yet forgive the cycle of vengeance so that peace can bloom. Remembering that war is hell and we should not go to it, and remembering, too, that all people are our siblings, that everywhere skies are blue and hearts beat for peace. We forgive and ask forgiveness, but we remember, we do not forget that we are bound together. And a good way to remember things is to sing them. Singing is a different part of the brain. It's the last thing you forget. So we sing when we want to remember something important. So rise in body or spirit. We'll sing that we may live. This is my song 159.
In a moment, I'll extinguish our chalice, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These things we carry with us until we are together again. While I do that, I invite you, if you'd rather not be touched, place your hands on your shoulders or reach out to join hands with one another. The words of our benediction attributed to St. Francis. Where hate rules, let us bring love. Where sorrow, joy. Let us strive more to comfort others than to be comforted, to understand others than to be understood, to love others more than to be loved. For it is in giving that we receive, and in pardoning that we are pardoned. We'll sing together our closing blessing.